We're outside the travel agency, a cannabis store that's got everyone buzzing. I've been to dispensaries all over the United States, but I've never seen one this unique. So nice. Amazing vibe. Some of the best customer service I've had in a store. Blows my expectations out of the water. Come down to the travel agency and see for yourself. For use only by adults age 21 and older. Keep out of reach of children and pets. In case of accidental ingestion or overconsumption, contact the National Poison Control Center. Consume responsibly. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. requests through heating vents and hear them answered with a whisper this is columbia house party <laughs> jake goldsby what's going on you're i'm blake good. murphy you're getting good at those we are recording this the week that toronto first got snow yes that's true i feel like is so so fitting for this album i think so it's definitely an album that you can as, as you texted me yesterday i listened to it and i just want to walk around in the snow and be sad that's Which, I mean, that's almost always how i feel yeah but this but, is i feel like this is especially and, like, we've done some, like, emo sad albums. That's a feat that we have one now that's like, ooh, okay. Yeah. Now I, I'm sad. I don't, I don't know about you, but I have tried to not steer too far into the, like, oh, I was super sad or angsty when I was listening to this. Like, obviously, we're joking about it and sharing some stories, but I don't want to lean in too hard all the time. I'm, I'm worried about where this one might take you. Before we get into it, I should say that there is – we have yet – of all the albums we've done – so far on this show. Uh, we've done a lot of albums I really like. This is like the first one we're doing where it's like, this is like an all-time Desert Island favorite of mine. So there's no way I'm going to be impartial about anything here today. For, you don't have fair to. The whole, our, our whole shtick is that this is subjective. And That's true. We're yeah. going to give you, we're going to say things like this song is bad, but we don't mean the song is bad. We mean if we <laughs> relate to it less than... The other songs yeah, on, on I the think album. We're, we're not picking albums, at least not yet, that we actively dislike. dislike. Yeah, the that, issue we're going to run into this one is that there aren't bad songs. Yeah, I think I use this term a lot, and I don't like using it a lot, but the term perfect album, I think, gets thrown around a lot. And I'm not sure I quite put this there, but it's close. Before we introduce this album officially... I have a question for you. I know that you have had a thing with the city of Winnipeg in the past. I have, yes. We have fought in the past. Is it true. because of a certain it reference is, in this album? It is actually not. It's okay. just because they got mad at me for making a joke on the internet once. Okay. I didn't know if like because of a certain lyric on this album, you were just like, you know what? Yeah. That's I don't the think city so. I'm going to pick up. No, you know what? I never even made that connection. It's just, uh, that's just sort of how it shook out. All right. Yeah. Well, Jake, what uh, what album did you bring for us today? So today we're going to talk about an album that if you didn't figure it out from what we just said, uh, this album came out when I was, I was freshly 15. Every time you go back to your teen years and your childhood years, I, I want to ask about the other stuff that you had going on at that time. And it's, it's hard. So this actually does sort of 
in a way playing to that. Extremely uh, Canadian on all fronts. Yes. This, this is a very, next. this is, a, if there's a CRTC episode, that's like the CanCon requirements. It's this one. But, uh, so I was 15 and I would say it was the start of developing my, um, let's call them mental health problems for lack of a better term. I was, I didn't really know what was going on with me. I just knew I was very sad and I wasn't totally sure. There's a lot of other stuff going on as Blake just alluded to concerning the fact that I was going through puberty on national television, which <laughs> playing a loser, which is not great for a teenager's mental health. Right in your wheelhouse. So, oh yeah. Oh, the guy who just doesn't know how to talk to women. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and so this was right around the time where I went to therapy for the first time in my life. It was not a therapist I would stick with. It was, I would say, did more harm than good, probably. But uh, this album came out. I started listening to this album, if not the day of, it was like the week of uh, going to therapy. And my head was all kind of messed up. And I remember that fall, I went to New York with my parents. I forget why. I think it was just for like a weekend trip. And I remember walking around... New York. The thing I used to do on trips was go walking by myself with headphones. It's my favorite thing to do when I go on the road with the Raptors. Yeah, it's great. New cities, just go. I still, lo- I still love doing it. Yeah. And so I was 15 in New York City for the first time. And I remember just walking around Greenwich Village because that's where I was told to go. So it's like the pre-Williamsburg days. Also, I was 15, so I wasn't ready for that yet. And I was walking around and listening to this album the whole trip. And it, <laughs> it really isn't... It, as you kind of said at the beginning, if you want to be like the 15-year-old sad boy walking around New York City <laughs> listening to this music in the fall, we'll get you there real quick. So um, that's what my first of many personal connections to this record is. Uh, so today we're going to talk about Reconstruction Site by The Weaker Thans. Call request through heating vents And hear them answered with a whisper no To crack the code of muscle slack and tense Let every second step in boots on snow Complete your name with accents I can't place That stumble where the syllables combine Take depositions from a stranger's face Paint every insignificance a sign So tell me nothing matters less or more Say whatever we think actions are We'll never know what anything was for If near is just as far away as far And I'm permitted one act I can say I choose to sit here next to you and wave the iambic pentameter yeah uh we will get into that which i actually forgot about until i was making notes i was like right that's why those songs are yeah that. just the the three sonnets the most john k samson thing possible so to talk about the weaker thens i think first we have to talk about another one of my all-time favorite bands a little band called propagandy 
because John K. Sampson, frontman for The Weaker Thens, famously was in Propaganda, which I did not know when I first started listening to The Weaker Thens. Now, the WWE wrestler that I have told you yes. is basically just you. See the ska one? Yes. His yeah. entrance music is ska. He is from Montreal, but always rips on Montreal. And he wears band shirts all the time, wore a Propaganda shirt on Friday. I like it. I like it. More people should rep Propaganda. One of the best Canadian bands ever, but we will get to that another day, but also kind of right now. Yeah. Uh, John K. Sampson joined Propaganda in 1991 after seeing a poster in a Winnipeg skate shop called Skate, yes, spelled SK8, saying progressive thrash band looking for a bassist. Chris Hanna, the frontman for Propaganda, said that me and Jord, uh, the drummer of Propaganda, had a house on Beverly Street, which is a crazy street in Winnipeg. Samson's mom drove him to our house one day to try out. Uh-huh. We used to jam in the living room. It's almost like first person through the door who can play anything close, you're in. So we played for 20 minutes and said, ah, okay, you're in. That was it. We had no idea he was going to become John Sampson from the Weaker Thens. <laughs> so that's how he joined this Winnipeg punk band. They would release two records together, How to Clean Everything in 1993 and Let's Talk More Rock in 1997. I think that might have been 95, 97, I'm not sure, in the 90s, uh, both on Fat Rack Chords. The band and Samson were sort of, not at odds, but their styles were very different going in. Propaganda back in the 90s, and to a lesser extent still today, <laughs> are known for being, let's say, confrontational on stage. Chris Hanna loves to pick a fight with the crowd, uh, especially back in those days, he would egg on the skinheads who would come to the shows to tell them to fuck off. And there'd be fights in the crowd at every show. Arguing with your audience, I couldn't be part of my job on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, if Propaganda were Twitter before. Yeah, if they if they were a sports writer dealing with people complaining about the referees. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so John Sampson, being the sensitive poet type he is, did not super vibe with that a whole bunch. But stayed in the band. They released their two albums, bunch of splits. Sampson has always been sort of distant about his relationship with Propaganda. Uh, in 2012, he told Exclaim that he hadn't listened to How to Clean Everything in more than 15 years. And he never really talks about being in the band that much or historically hasn't. Like, it's been very much like a... Like a footnote kind of thing. Yeah, and like, it's where he came from, but it's not where he was going, which it wasn't. But after How to Clean Everything came out, John K. Sampson released a solo cassette called Slips and Tangles, which that song would end up on the weaker than second record. Uh, and became the basis for a lot of what he would do with the Weaker Thens. But throughout that time, he was still becoming very uncomfortable with the confrontational nature of propaganda. He said in 2012, he told Exclaim, Chris is incredibly charismatic, and he thrived on that confrontation, which is an interesting combination in a singer. Propaganda would then start instituting an open mic policy at their shows, where anyone from the crowd could come on stage and ramble about whatever they wanted, for however long they wanted. What? So their shows just kind of devolved into a song and then I'm picturing, rambling. I'm picturing the Parks and Rec episodes where they do open <laughs> forums right now and like like a handful of people coming up and talking about just nonsense. And like a lot of these shows too were in like Portage La Prairie. <laughs> I th- I'm sure it wasn't far off from that. exactly that. John K. Sampson told Exclaim, he said, there were some really amazing shows And there were some really antagonistic shows. The seeds of my real anxiety about it came pretty early. There were some really serious, strangely frightening shows. We'd have eruptions of scary moments. I remember being in Bakersfield and the people who brought us there had tire irons out on the stage because white power people said they were going to come by. So that was sort of the vibe 
in mid nineties propaganda shows. Cool. And cool, cool, cool. Uh, Chris Hanna has said that the band themselves somehow never actually ended up in the fights. Okay. But many fights happened around them and because of them. So yeah, that certainly hearing it now and knowing where John K. Sampson eventually went, you can see yeah, how that's not his energy and seeing where propaganda went musically as well. You mm-hmm. can see how there wasn't really a fit there for a yeah. long term uh, thing. Uh, in 1995, John K. Sampson released a split with a Winnipeg punk band called Painted Thin. Two of the members of Painted Thin were Jason Tate and Stephen Carroll, both of whom would go on to join the Weaker Thens. Propaganda and John K. Sampson sort of started to find themselves at an impasse when Chris, Hannah, and George Smolinski wanted to cover a song by a metal band called Venom, a song called Stand Up and Be Counted. And Samson said that, I remember Chris and George wanted to do a Venom cover, and we did it, and it took me weeks to learn how to play it. And I kept thinking, what's the point of this song? It just sounds kind of terrible, but they insisted on playing it. Maybe that should have given me a clue. I remember being mystified by this song, like, why don't we just play it without all the stupid stops and stuff? Why is it in a weird time signature? Just straighten it out. To me, that was a big thing. Like, what is this song about and why would you want to play it? So in 1996, Propagandi released Less Talk, More Rock. It featured two songs by John K. Sampson. One was Anchorless, which would be re-recorded for the Weaker Than's debut album, Fallow. And also a song that's a personal favorite of mine to this day of John K. Sampson's catalog and a song called Gifts. Really has that like mid '90s skate punk sound to it. Yep. I haven't listened to Lost Talk More Rock in a while, and it's funny every time I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is what music sounded like in punk rock at the time." Yeah. Also, it's like what every basement band in Kitchener and Guelph. I think that's what's funny about Propaganda in a way. Like now they become like this incredibly technical like thrash band. It's like, oh yeah, they started in a basement in Winnipeg. Of course, they sound yeah. like that. The band began to sort of splinter apart a little bit, but Samson does look back on the time with Propagandy fondly. He said, playing with these guys really shaped my writing, pretty much invented me as a songwriter. It gave me a clear idea of the kind of song I wanted to write. Not a Propagandy song. <laughs> song. They'd agreed to part ways when Samson started bringing in songs that would go on to become the first weaker than songs to practice. And it was pretty clear that they weren't going in the same direction. A split was mutual, but they still say there was hard feelings. Uh, Samson said, I was angry, I think. And looking back at it now, what I was most angry about was that I wasn't good enough to be in the band and I wasn't a good enough bass player. And I think that's just true. It's nothing to be ashamed of, but at the time I was, I was ashamed I didn't have the ability, but I just listened to Failed States, the title track from their 2012 release, and I couldn't air bass to that. 
It's so beyond me physically. So it makes perfect sense now looking back that I was just the wrong person for that band, which like failed states is a thrash metal tune. Like, yeah. no, it's insane. I feel like that self aware, that level of self awareness is fine. And so often like we hear about bands that break up or splinter or, you know, split into solo projects or whatever. And there is like, it's kind of acrimonious and it's like, sometimes yeah. it's like, it's okay. Like, obviously you, you said that there were still some hard feelings there, but like one member of the band after a couple albums being like, you know what? I, you know, I'm not a fit. You guys need a better bassist. I want to write different songs. So, and I could see it being difficult. Like the propaganda guys are notorious for kind of being tongue in cheek about everything. So I could see it being tough to like figure out where you stand with that. <laughs> and yeah, every one of those tongue in cheek comments hurt strongly Samson's feelings. <laughs> exactly. Aww. Uh, so Samson left the band in 1996 to form Arbiter Ring, a book publishing company because naturally, <laughs> naturally at that time, he also formed the weaker thens in October, 1996 with Jason Tate, Stephen Carroll and John P. Sutton. Chris Hanna says, looking back on Samson's time in the, in propaganda, he said, when I see how well the Weaker Thans have done and how much impact they've had, I think it's kind of neat. The guy was in our band. How many other bands can say John K. Sampson was in their band? Which only, I think only is, a couple. Which I think is the, a nice way to look at it. Yeah. Um, John K. Sampson has since made his peace with propaganda. He's still never seen them play, he says, but he's starting to listen to them again, even though he doesn't really get yeah. <laughs> that stuff. So the Weaker Thans were formed uh, in 1996. They released the album Fallow in 1997. Chris Hanna put out the record on Propagandy's G7 welcoming committee label. There was still a relationship, relationship there. It's still, I mean, they're all still in the Winnipeg punk scene, which couldn't have been very big in 1997. Go Jets. Go Jets. Weaker Than did not get away immediately from the confrontation that Samson didn't like because people would show up expecting the guy from Propagandy's side project to be. Exactly. Uh, and then they would sound like the Weaker Thens. <laughs> and he, Samson said that part of the reason I named the band The Weaker Thens was to preempt the idea of what people were going to get. That was a big part of it for me because I knew this was going to happen. And the first few years of The Weaker Thens were a struggle. We would play the same kinds of shows that Propagandy were playing and people would be upset. And there's nothing I can do about it. And sometimes it got intense. People were really upset and angry and would express that because I didn't play fast enough or loud enough. It sounds absurd, but in the context of a show... You can't really control that kind of thing. So the the tension between the audience and the band got so much that Samson actually almost didn't continue with the band and almost quit music to just run his book publishing company. But thankfully, he kept it going. He strikes me as someone who would have been a good writer, though, probably. Yeah, and he has a, he's done some books of poetry, right? Yeah, he has a collection of his songs and poems. It's amazing. Okay. He's You can see it in his songs that he's clearly writing from not a musical standpoint yeah, in a way. University English departments do not invite songwriters in to <laughs> exactly. speak if they're not, you know, if they're if there's not a literary element to their songwriting. Fowl contained two songs that he wrote for Propagandy, Anchorless, as we said, and also a song called Letter of Resignation. Stephen Carroll joined the band after Fowl's release, and that lineup would stick for the next three albums. They released Left and Leaving in 2000, also on G7. Epitaph re-released both the first records in 2007. Left and Leaving sort of changed everything for the weaker thens. They went from being seen as sort of propagandy light, as Dan Ozzy once called them, to being seen as a real band. Ozzy also called Left and Leaving a perfect album. And he argues that it was the weaker thens who, quote, made it punk to have an emotional side. Because Left and Leaving has a bunch of sort of punkier, in quotes, tunes, and also a bunch of really sad folk songs. It also contained the closest thing I think you could call to a hit that the weaker thens have <laughs> had. This song appeared in the end credits 
of the hit movie Wedding Crashers. And the song was Aside. stare the time it takes to get from here to there my ribs that show through t-shirts and these shoes I got for free I'm unconsoled I'm lonely I am so much better than I used to be Circumnavigate this body of wonder and uncertainty. Armed with every precious failure, an amateur cartography. Between Left and Leaving and Reconstruction Site, which we're going to talk about in detail today, is when I started... Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> is when I started getting into my, like, really going to shows period of my life. And... Growing up in downtown Toronto must have been... It wasn't bad. No offense to handheld, <laughs> but they should not have been the band that I saw the first eight times I went to a show. And the Weaker Thans were a huge part of my early live music experience because them and the Constantines used to play residencies essentially at Lee's Palace all the time. So they do a, an afternoon show on a Saturday for the all ages crowd and then an evening show for the 19 plus crowd. And I remember I had a couple friends just through, you know, doing Degrassi and certain people who worked as merch people for different bands. They knew this was in the days where security at music venues in downtown Toronto was non lesser. lesser or non-existent, if you will. Uh, so you used to be able to go. Maybe Plus, you were a celeb. I mean, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can still do this, but in the old days, you used to be able to go around the back of Lee's Palace and walk into the green room, which would then just take you out onto the floor. And so you could sneak into 19 plus shows that way. If there's anyone under 19 listening to this, I'm not suggesting you do this, but maybe you can check to see if you still can. Granted, this is like 16 years ago, so it's possible you can't. But I saw a lot of Weaker Than shows by locking in the back door of either the Horseshoe or Lee's Palace. And they became one of the like go-to high school music experiences for me, along with like Real Big Fish and <laughs> all the Scott. Well, now, now at the Horseshoe, you could just like climb through the A&W window. That's true. The A&W window did not exist back then, sadly. What a... You know, not all change is progress. That change, that change is progress. progress. That, that window has saved my my night more than once. I remember the sidekicks were here playing with Oso Oso. Yes, we and were at that show. 
Yeah, you came. Yeah, you were there as well. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about that. Um, anyway, after you left, uh, the sidekicks and I went to Horseshoe to see Frankie Cosmos, and I was telling them on the walk that like, we walked through, uh, we walked through Kensington uh, to get to the Horseshoe from Sneaks, and I was telling them like, yeah, this place like it has a and W window, and they were like, what? Like the idea of this? And I swear, when we walked in, there was just this orange aura around the window. I was like, oh, that's what it is. I think I've told this story on some podcast before, but like- it was very funny seeing like a rock band from somewhere else who hadn't been to the Horseshoe or didn't remember the Horseshoe at least. It is funny, like a band that tours venues for a living. The, yeah, uh, the and notion here all of, the time. The notion of having just like a window into a wall that burgers come out of yeah. is like amazing. It's great. Uh, after left and leaving, the weaker thens, I don't. I don't think you can say broke big because I don't think they really ever broke big as in comparison to some of the other bands we've talked about. But f- expectations were very high. They signed to a, I guess you can call it a major label. They signed to Epitaph in 2003 to put out the album we're going to talk about today, Reconstruction Site, and we'll talk about that after this. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So, Reconstruction Site was released on August 26, 2003. It is, to this day, the band's best-selling album to date. They even made a music video for a song called Our Retired Explorer. Dines with Michel Foucault in some date. There's a longer version of the title. Your Man Crush Monday look like Shackleton. (laughs) Uh, The album is thematically framed by three songs, Manifest, Hospital Vespers, and Past Due, which more or less follow the same tune. And as Blake sort of said before, they are all written in iambic pentameter. Yeah, they're all little sonnets. They're literally sonnets. Yeah. Also, I like that it's it's very... I didn't remember this at all about this album, but it's very like Black Parade-ish. The storyline yeah. is is almost is through those very three. similar to uh, the Black Parade. It's also very similar story-wise, and also I don't think I realized till later that it was a there was like lyrical connections. To the yeah, three. like I knew a self-contained story. It was like, oh, they're the same tune, and they beginning, middle, end the album. That's cool. And now it's like, oh no, this is like really well written. Yeah, John K. Samson doesn't do those things by mistake. <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> So the yeah, the album begins with Manifest, which kind of leads us in, which we heard at the beginning. This is definitely an album where the lyrics are not written by the guy from Propaganda. Not that <laughs> Chris Hanna isn't a great lyricist, because I do think he is, but like the thematic value of this album is pretty unique, I think, for definitely for its time and definitely for its genre. Our Retired Explorer is a song where John K. Sampson has imagined a conversation between Michel Foucault 
and a member of Ernest Shackleton's expedition to Antarctica, uh, which Samson himself admits uh, isn't possible because uh, Shackleton actually died four years before Foucault was born. Samson said that I think he's a really interesting figure. He was an Antarctic explorer at the turn of the last century, and he's just this interesting guy who explored Antarctica. So I don't know. I think about him a lot. Have you seen the show on Netflix, Atypical? No, I've seen it pop up in my like selection thing. Really, really good show. Like a a very sweet and like heartfelt show. Um, But there is an entire episode. um, The lead character who's on the spectrum um, penguins are like kind of his thing that calm him down. And he like draws them all the time and stuff. Anyway, there's a whole episode where he just talks about Shackleton like the whole time. (laughs) And I saw that episode this week as we were preparing for this. this? And I was just, it's like the Shackleton is coming up way too much. So (laughs) this is weird. It's a really, it's Shackleton week. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the music video for that as many times I've said already on the show. And I'll say many times again, I remember seeing late at one Friday night on the punk show and it being like, Oh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty cool. One of the other major songs from this record, at least in the... I was going to say the weaker than canon, but now I think about it, it's more in the like pop-punk canon now, I think, is Plea from a Cat Named Virtute. Why don't you ever want to play? I'm tired of this piece of string. You sleep as much as I do now, and you don't eat much of anything. I don't know who you're talking to I made a search through every room But all I found was dust that moved In shadows of the afternoon And listen About those bitter songs you sing They're not helping anything They won't So Plea from a Cat Named Virtute is a song written from the perspective of a cat named Virtute, whose owner is falling into depression and disrepair. And I remember the first time I heard this song, I a, a lot of quotes that I've seen about this album by musicians talk about how Samson's lyrics and writing opened their eyes to what was possible in lyrics and writing. Mm-hmm. And not that I am a songwriter by any means, but I remember this song also did that for me. Like the the notion of a song that's a metaphor for depression written for the perspective of a cat when I was 15 just blew my mind. How do you even think of that? I want to talk a lot about the influence that Weaker Than's had on other bands that I like. Um, the Hotel Year basically just like stole, like Housebroken is a song written from a dog's perspective. Yeah. It's like so, <laughs> it's, sim- it's not maybe thematically, it's not as much, but I, I'm like, like that song was definitely written. They listened to a cat named Fertuti and they were like, could we do this from a dog's perspective? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's funny also thinking about the influence it has on bands like that. And in mm-hmm. the genre that we traffic in today, 
that I don't think I realized until a couple years ago how influential the weaker thens were. And it makes total sense why I like all that music and I love the weaker thens. But be, I think because of the sound, it never really clued in with a lot of those bands that there was such direct inspiration. Right, because they borrowed from the songwriting side, not from the sound exactly. side. Exactly. And speaking of the sound side, we can segue. Uh, Reconstruction Site also represented a bit of a shift in the weaker than sound. I think you could say that, I think you could pretty comfortably slot Fallow and Left and Leaving into pop punk. Intelligent pop punk. Pop punk for readers. Sure. But Reconstruction Site is almost a folk record in a lot of ways which would also be very much sort of what John K. Sampson would go on to traffic his career in mm-hmm. and the remainder of the Weaker Than's career in as well. There's a lot more addition of, you hear a lot of like pedal steel guitar in this, some horns, a lot. Just you could see the band fully coming to themselves. They expanded their live lineup to be like six people at this time to fit in horns and strings and what have you. You hear it a lot uh, in a song called Benediction. get to be a saint Martyrs never last this long Guess I'll never be the one To defeat desire in a song Here's a marker Here's my naked skin Our exhibit A a small X where I lost my way Another like folkier tune, I think you could say, which to me sort of is, I don't know why this song always strikes me as the most Canadian on the record, not just for like thematically, but just the sound of it. I, I have trouble with One Great City not being the most Canadian song on the I on guess. The I don't know. It's that one's not to There's play nothing the more Canadian than hating Winnipeg. <laughs> but like nicely. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like I'm trying not to. Yeah, that's true. You're right. But You're... you know, winter wears on everyone eventually. <laughs> You're right. We haven't seen the sun in weeks now as someone who spent six weeks in edmonton over the course of december and january at one point <laughs> can't imagine what a full winter in winnipeg is that's like. you're right okay i take that back the title track is what i'm talking about uh which i believe <laughs> features vocals from the reason i was getting contained, i believe sarah harmer provides the backup vocals on this the track very clearly borrows from sweet home alabama john gay Sampson was invited to speak uh, at university of toronto with professor nick mount from the department of english in 2013 and he said and quote I stole the music from a popular Southern rock band called Leonard Skinner. It's sort of an act of reclamation in that the song is sort of derogatory toward Neil Young. It's called Sweet Home Alabama. So I thought I would reclaim it as a Winnipegger. It's part of the hidden history of this song. Also, it's pretty catchy. You have to admit, <laughs> Leonard Skinner kind of rock. Again, a very- That is the politest way to get revenge on someone 
John Gay said, and he it does. I've never met him in person, but I've seen him play solo many times, and he does seem like the most polite man in the world. Yeah. He starts every show and has even the weaker than days. He starts every show by saying "Hello, friends," <laughs> and that's how he opens. Like he's very much the soft spoken man. I think we want him to be. Yeah, and he's obviously a huge uh, Neil Young fan. He told Bandcamp Daily in 2016 that he bought his first electric guitar the day he saw Dead Man, which is a film Neil Young did the score for. Huh. Yeah, I did not know that. He so had, he, he paid it, paid it back. You I know? guess it makes sense. Like a folksy guy from Winnipeg being inspired by Neil Young does not seem out of the realm of possibility. I think I do want to talk about with this record a little bit is this idea of their, we kind of touched on a minute ago, but the idea of their place in emo in quote unquote, Dan Ozzy, as I said, argued that they made it punk to have feelings. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I'm surprised at how much you do see them sort of i know the our emo people will get mad at us but like i get it like yeah, yeah left- they would not they would not classify the weaker thans as emo at any point but you would almost like that tree from our emo you would almost have to have like weaker thans like the opposite of a branch where like a branch someone's just like reaching in and shaking a branch yeah and like it's so funny that this like sort of quirky canadian folk band is heralded as not necessarily a pillar of emo but definitely an influence on modern emo. I think you can see more of the specificity of Samson's writing in emo in 2019 than you can in like Jawbreaker's writing. Yeah, in and, 2019. and I mean, for me, it's it's funny because like all of my favorite bands are like a lot of the a lot of my current favorite bands are of the last five ten years are like oh yeah we like John K. Sampson was it like modern baseball um, referred to uh, the weaker thans as their favorite band ever until consequence of sound in 2016, that um, it directly affected how they wrote Holy ghost. Now the fact that Holy ghost is their worst, my least favorite of their it albums. Also, also the first track on that sounds like a weaker than song. It sure does. Um, it's Frank Turner's favorite album. Yeah. Uh, Frank Turner told consequence of sound in 2015. I've been a fan of the weaker thans for a very long time. And I think John K. Sampson is one of the greatest lyric writers to ever walk this earth. I've actually been more a student of the band than a fan. Justin Courtney Pierre of Motion City Soundtrack told Pop Matters, holy shit, where do I begin? First and foremost, it's all about the lyrics. Uh, John K. Sampson is a master storyteller. He has a way of making you feel instantly nostalgic for the thing you just heard. Which oh, that's is, a great quote. And it's accurate. so good. That's, it's so, that's how I felt all week listening to this album, walking around. I, I mentioned earlier that it was the first snowfall. And we've talked on this podcast about how albums get locked in as like, okay, I listen to this at yeah. this point in the fall and I have a specific memory with it and that's locked in as a fall album. This album has always been a winter album for me. Yep. But like walking around during the first snowfall of the year, like that's the feeling that you get. It's like I'm so nostalgic for this thing that didn't happen to me. I also think that like to the point of this, I think I find that I go through this thing with The Weaker Thans and John K. Sampson and all their music where they're one of my favorite bands of all time. It's one of my favorite records of all time. But I don't listen to them like I won't go through a full year of listening to them, but then I'll be like, I have a playlist that I made on Spotify last year. That's just every weaker than song and every John K. Samson song on Spotify. Cause sometimes Perfect. like I'm just gonna listen to this for three weeks. And that's, and it's, I think to that nostalgic for the thing you just heard, that's what every time it sounds like, boy, I could listen to something new, but I really just want to go listen to John K. Samson some more. Yeah. Uh, Justin Beer also said seeing them live will quote fucking ruin you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kevin Devine, Hotel Year, Touche More, all big fans of his uh, solo work as well as Weaker Thans. 
Um, there was uh, an album release called One Great Tribute, a love letter to the Weaker Thans. Uh, it was a Weaker Thans tribute album uh, to raise proceeds for CAMH and CMHA. Uh, they crowdfunded the actual album, and John K. Sampson is like on board with it. Yeah, it's crazy how much it truly has had, especially on, as I said, the music that we listen to like every day. Um, before we get into sort of the future of the Weaker Thans that is now the past, I guess we can't really not talk about One Great City yeah. when discussing this record. It was, it became sort of, I want to say a phenomenon because that's way too big for the weaker thens. But if you were a CBC listener in 2004, you knew One Great City. Late afternoon, another day is nearly done. A darker gray is breaking through a lighter one. A thousand sharpened elbows in the underground That hollow hurried sound Of feet on polished floor And in the dollar store The clerk is closing up And counting loonies trying not to say Winnipeg Boy is it fun to be in a room full of 500 people all yelling I hate Winnipeg at the exact same time (laughs) That is a great concert sing-along song John K. Sams has a quote uh, when he was talking about being no longer in propaganda where even to this day uh, at every show he plays, someone yells out propaganda in the crowd just to like bring to like ask for a song or whatever. I feel like this song that probably happens also. I've never not seen him play it. I think the Weaker Thans got away from playing a little bit uh, when they were touring reunion tour just because it was so ubiquitous for them a little bit. But uh, they he plays it now and they obviously didn't stop playing it. Um, but I just, it's such a funny tune. It's also one of those tunes where kind of like we were saying with, um, for today of that. I, I don't think when I was 15, I heard this record, I'd ever heard a song this specific about references that I recognized. Like the fact he's referencing like the guess who and the jets and the, like, even like the bus route. It's just very, I remember hearing that being like, oh, you can write things that aren't, that people might not get the references, but you can write things about like your street. Right, yeah. Talking about the ball game. Yeah. Empty, empty diners. <laughs> you know, stuff that is like, you don't have to be there. You can re- you know exactly what that feeling is. Totally. And, and it's so devoid of metaphor in a way for a band that, for a guy who writes in such lyrical, flowy patterns. The album was extremely well-received in Canada. Uh, In 2013, Ballast Magazine named it the 47th best Canadian album of all time. Pitchfork, of course, gave it a 5.3 at time of its release. I'd be really curious to see what a Pitchfork re-review of this album in 2019 would look like. I have a feeling it would be higher than a 5.3. After the album was released, John P. Sutton left the band. He was replaced by Greg Smith on bass, who is now a bartender at the Horseshoe Tavern. And you can say hi to him and say how much you like his band, which he gets really sometimes uncomfortable with. Uh, I don't say that from personal experience or anything. 
but uh <laughs> man yeah uh the band would release reunion tour in 2007 which sort of continued the evolution of their sound uh Stephen carroll said that it has lots of ambient stuff tape loops and more keyboard uh it was nominated for the 2008 polaris prize it also is an extremely lyrically dense and referential record uh it has songs about gump worsley the scotty's tournament <laughs> of hearts winnipeg bus drivers and bobby clark not the hockey bobby clark but the ferry driver who believes he once saw Bigfoot. So that's the kind of record it is. Also for me, a record that puts me in a place. That record came out like the week I went to university. Mm. It was like my first week in the dorm when it came out. And I was like, that'll do it. I can't hear the first track on that record, Civil Twilight, without being like, oh, first week of school and moving away for the first time. That's fun. Uh, in 2009. Into your favorite city. Into my favorite city, yeah. You want to talk about I Hate Winnipeg? <laughs> If Jake Goldsby had gone down the songwriting road. It would just be that, but Montreal. Yes. Yeah. But in French. But in French, to, to... which I can't speak. Uh, in 2009, the band released an incredible, incredible live album called Live at the Burton Cummings Theater. It's awesome. Go listen to it. Uh, in 2010, they collaborated with Jim Bryson on his album, The Falcon Lake Incident. Uh, they were basically his backing band, and Jim Bryson would then go on to join the Weaker Thens as a live member for the rest of their tenure. They also, in 2006, I didn't know this until today, uh, the Weaker Thens minus John K. Sampson, back Greg Graffin on his 2006 solo record, Cold as the Clay. Sure. Which, all right. They stopped releasing new music after Reunion Tour, uh, despite everyone waiting for a new Week of Ends record, and they said they were writing. They also stopped really playing shows after 2011. Writing was on the wall a little bit, that the band was coming to an end. John K. Sampson released his first solo record, Provincial, in 2012. Uh, which was a compilation of three previously released EPs, which was long listed for the Polaris Prize. The Weaker Thens played their final show at X-Fest in Calgary in 2013, following appearances at Sonic Boom Festival in Edmonton and Riot Fest in Toronto, which was also the last time I saw them. They were the band's first shows in two years. And then in 2015, <laughs> they broke up in the most Canadian folk band way possible. In 2015, Jason Tate unceremoniously tweeted, Word is getting out, the Weaker Thens are done. Here's the songs we used to take the stage four years. Bye-bye. And that's how they broke up. And right. that's how they announced it. Just a tweet. Uh, in 2016, John K. Sampson released Winter Wheat, which was produced by Jason Tate and also features Craig Smith and was recorded by the Weaker Than Sound Tech. And it's essentially a Weaker Than's record minus Stephen Carroll. It's very good. It's great. And Sampson even described it as sounding more like a new Weaker Than's album rather than a solo project. It also contains the end of the Vertute saga and it's the saddest fucking song of oh, all no. time. Oh, <laughs> no. Poor guy. Yeah. Poor girl. I don't know the gender of that cat. I don't know either. Poor cat. Poor cat. That's an easier way to put it. Yeah. Uh, so that's The Weaker Thens. And we're going to dig into some hot takes I have about this album, The Weaker Thens. After this. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we get into the debate, I want to run two things by you. Okay. First, actually, I'm not even going to run by you. I just, I really love the album art. Yes. Uh, this one, so it's by Marcel Dezama, who also did uh, album covers for They Might Be Giants and Beck. It just looks like it's great. It also looks like someone who designed album covers for They Might Be Giants and Beck. It sure does. <laughs> just, yeah, let's find a Canadian artist and let's get after it. I'm pretty sure he's Canadian. Plus dark reds and browns. Yes. Uh, my other question, do you find a lot of, like, I guess, uh, sound-wise, sonically and songwriting-wise, I find I've always found weaker than's and mountain goats to be very yeah. like, parallel to each other. Um, and I like both of those bands a lot. Obviously mountain goats tends to do a little more concepty albums. Although reconstruction side is not, not concepty. I, I think that's a fair You're a mountain goats fan, right? Oh, I'm a huge mountain goats yeah. fan. Yeah. I feel like they, I don't know. They occupy a similar headspace to me. And there were certain times listening to this album back. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, it's very not, not that one borrows from the other. I think yeah. they just like, there aren't a lot of bands that sound like those two bands. And they sound a little similar. I think. I think there's. I think two things on that. I think yes, they absolutely do. And I think part of it is that both John Darnielle and John K. Sampson have a similar quality to their voice. I would say they're also both very literate and very referential. There's a great video on YouTube actually uh, from I think it's in 2009. Uh, the Bare Naked Ladies had a cruise where bands went on with them and they played. And on this cruise, this edition of it was the weaker thens and the mountain goats oh. with them. And there's a great video of essentially a songwriter's lecture for lack of a better term. And there's a bunch of people in the panel. I forget who the other three are, but the main three that I was focused on obviously were Stephen Page, John O'Neill and John K. Sampson. And they talk about writing their songs and they have acoustic guitars with them. They play some of their songs. It's on YouTube. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check. I that think out. that you can definitely see how John K. Sampson and John O'Neill are on very similar wavelengths and i think i've also both influenced exactly the music we're talking about here yeah anyway that's a tangent but i just uh i wanted your thoughts i wanted to wanted i'm to know always here to there. talk about the mountain goats we'll do that one one day and i'll get very sad but which yeah we we're gonna want to do different mountain goats albums. we are gonna want to do different mountain goats I, don't, albums. I don't think there's any question for anyone listening who knows me at all <laughs> which mountain goats album i would want to do maybe we'll do both yeah you know, we'll so. see yeah. anyway i have three hot takes about the weaker thens and about this album that okay. I want to debate. All right. I I don't know that there's going to be a ton of debate. No, I'm not sure. I'm either. not going to tell you that this album that you're wrong feeling the way you feel about this album that meant so much to you. I would say that it's more one hot take and two more points. Okay. Well, let's load the hot Jake cannon. Let's <laughs> let's shoot these Jake's Jake take. hot takes off. Jake hot take number one. Jake hot take number one is that John K. Sampson is the greatest Canadian songwriter of all time, and that includes I'm including in this list. I used to say that I thought he was the greatest living Canadian songwriter of all time. Does that give you the Leonard Cohen? Yes, Gord Downey, et cetera. But now upon reflection of my own opinion, I'm taking it further. And I think that no disrespect meant to Leonard Cohen or Gord Downey. Jake shoots but- on Gord Downey. <laughs> but First Don I- Cherry. For- yeah, now Jake, come for all your institutions. 
We'll get into how I don't like the Tragically Hip another time. I went I went to school in Kingston. Sorry to cut you off. Have, you have to. Yeah, it's like, like they two, issue it. Two Tragically Hip concerts a year came with my tuition. <laughs> it's, it's, Fully it's, completely comes with your birth certificate. It's yeah. like, here you go. Uh, but yeah, I believe that John K. Sampton is the greatest Canadian songwriter of all time. I don't, I'm not going to say that he's the most influential Canadian songwriter of all time or that he has necessarily added the most to the culture, quote unquote, of Canada, because yeah. I don't think he has. Maybe our very specific... The stuff we have consumed over yes. the last decade, maybe. But like, I don't think he's had a bigger impact on the country than Leonard Cohen or Joni Mitchell or whomever. But I do think he is the greatest songwriter, lyricist. I should say lyricist because his songs are very basic. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone who has been able to find that balance of, like he walks that line of being too pretentious and cute for his own good so well. Well, I'm lost, I'm afraid. Rope tying down a leaky boat To the roof of a car on a road in the dark And it's snowing If I'm more, then it means less Last call for happiness I'm your dress near the back of your knees And your slip is showing I'm afloat in a summer parade Up the street in the town that you were born in With the girl at the top wearing tool and I'll miss somewhere sad waving like the queen buy me a shiny new machine that runs on lies and gasoline and all those batteries we stole from smoke alarms and disassembles my despair never took me anywhere it never once bought me a drink I could talk for hours about just the construction, not to use the, not to make a pun, no. but the construction of the lyrics and the tune of that song. Just like how he syncopates the words to fit the music there. Oh, I just, fuck, I love that song. I am not willing to concede without going back and doing a deeper dive into Leonard Cohen. So yes. that's as fresh. I, I'm just a little worried about recency bias, given how I much I've it. listened to John K. Sampson this week. I get it. I feel like... Leonard Cohen is at the top of my list, but I would have to go back and, you know, he has a chance to defend the title if I'm yeah, going to give yeah. it to someone else. I think that's fair. Uh, my second take is that Reconstruction Site is not only the weaker than his best albums, but it is one of the best Canadian albums of all time and should be talked about in the same breath as Harvest Moon or Fully Completely or... Morbid Stuff. Morbid Stuff. <laughs> uh, or any of the Leonard Cohen records. I think that it... The Weaker Thans, I think because they sort of faded out rather than broke up, they haven't, other than, as we said, are like musical niche. They, in the Canadian They haven't been celebrated lexicon, as yeah. much because they were a thing. And then I, I also feel like a part of that is that they didn't really belong to a genre. So no. you don't have. And they didn't have a hit. Yeah. And like everyone, I think most, a lot of people like them, but you don't have anyone you know, championing them when it's like, oh, I think they're, they're not in the conversation for best Canadian punk albums. And then because the first two were pop punkish and then you get into folky stuff, like they don't, they don't have a clear definition and a clear slot yeah. they fit into. And I think it's, and maybe that makes it harder to contextualize. I but. think so. And I think they're also a weird band in the sense that they had for a small Canadian band from Winnipeg had tremendous success, mm -hmm. but also didn't have that much success. Like even, the last time I saw them when they played Riot Fest, they were playing at like four in the afternoon 
Yeah, they were opening for Promise Ring as Promise Ring was coming down Exa- and opening for Jimmy Eat World Exactly, themselves. and that's in the States, too, where they definitely yeah. didn't have – like they. I don't think they had a ton of crossover international success mm-hmm. either. Um, and like even on their re- – like on their tour for Reunion Tour, when they were headlining, they were still playing venues like Le National in Montreal or Lee's Palace here. Like they weren't even playing 1500. Yeah, they're not playing Danforth. No, or even the Phoenix. Like it just wasn't – that didn't happen for them. I bet if they did it now, they could do Danforth. Oh, I, if they if there was a week of the reunion tour, nostalgia's now, hot. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they would. That would be a big selling tour. Uh, I agree with you that it's their best album. I would probably order them Reconstruction Site, Left and Leaving, Fallow Reunion Tour. I'm surprised. I don't. I'm surprised you put Reunion Tour fourth. Yeah, I, interesting. I would probably go Reconstruction Site. I have a really tough time with ranking Reunion Tour and Left and Leaving. They're both. So good in my eyes that I have a they're two and two A and two B to me. Okay. And then I'd have Fallow Fourth. Not that I think Fallow's bad, but it's very clearly a first record. I like that it's still like kind of pop punky though. It is though. Yeah. It I does do, that does fit well with me. Like it or not fit, but sits well with me. Like I like it. Yeah, I will say when I have my like John K. Sampson Weaker Than's playlist going and I'm skipping through, I stop on a lot of Fallow songs because they are kind of like Pop Left and funky. Leaving is really good. I think Left and Leaving is number two. Yeah. Like, I'm, or not, I think. For me, it's definitely number two. You could flip Fallow and Reunion Tour. I wouldn't That's feel fair. that strongly about it, but I think I also can't. I also can't divorce, like, my personal feelings and placement of Reunion Tour from where I was when that came out, so it's hard for me to be Yeah, there are a lot of albums that like that. When we get to an Alkaline Trio episode, I have oh, a very man. weird association with an Alkaline Trio album that most people don't like. And it's just like, I have it way higher than everyone else. And oh, just, you, yes. We have talked about this. Yeah, you we've do. argued about this on, yeah. on Twitter before. Yeah, we'll save like, that. I don't like that album. So We'll save that in favor of Weaker Than's J-Cot take number three. Um, we've sort of touched on this already. But the takes are getting less uh, hot. Luke, they're Luke, cooling off. They're lukewarm now. Uh, the Weaker Than's are not an emo band, despite, I think I'm going to agree with our emo for once. They're not they're not Sparkle Sparkle Daddy Spark- or or Emo Core. Or- I just learned the term Sparkle for Emo today. I didn't know that was a new thing in the genre, which like I get it kind of. Yeah, once they give examples of what is what like to me I this is maybe not something I should admit as we're trying to do like a critical music <laughs> podcast, but like I I generally don't care to split things into subgenres no. that much it's like mostly and i think a lot of that is because a lot of the time when i'm talking about music i'm talking about it with people who are not that hardcore fan who like if i started splitting the hairs of the emo revival subgenres into like midwest and sparkle and yeah uh, all of these things they would have no idea what i'm talking about yeah i think that's i, I mean i didn't have until literally till today mm-hmm. um but uh yeah I anyway just, i agree it's not emo i think it's just like a folk album yeah i think it's Canadian, it's closer to Canadiana than it is anything else, I think. Yeah, it is. I, I would be super curious what, like, obviously we mentioned a bunch of American bands that really like this album, but, like, some of our American friends who have music overlap with us, like, did Weaker Thens even hit them? Did it reach them? Did they, yeah. did they associate it with, other than the Winnipeg reference, being a Canadian <laughs> album? That is a very interesting question. I have no idea, but. I'd we should have asked someone. We should have asked Oops. somebody. Whoops. If you're listening to this, we'd Let love to know. hear yeah. your take. It was funny, when they broke up, um, in 2015, I remember tweeting very emotionally about it, of course. And I was surprised by the, especially when we compare sort of the, I mean, obviously they were never close to this size, but like the groundswell of people coming out of the woodwork when My Chemical Romance got back together. Yes. Everyone was like, oh man, they had this many fans. 
I was surprised at the lack of people sort of um, eulogizing the weaker thens, which I think does happen when you don't release music in eight years. I guess that's sort of how, and stop playing shows. It's not that, and aren't, you know, a band that was selling out stadiums and <laughs> 10 years ago, but yeah. Okay. So, so those are your three hot takes. Those are my three. Well, no, that's my one hot take and my two lukewarm takes. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite like song on this? I album? do actually. I, I, w- I found it a little hard to come up with rankings in my head just because the three, uh, the three sonnets are like, I can't separate them. Right. Yeah. Like you have to, I think group them together. I think that's And fair. then that messes up your ordering a little bit. I'm curious now. Cause I know you're sort of coming back to this record more than, and like sort of in yeah. a way discovering it more so than you. Than yeah. I like am. I probably didn't, I definitely at the time did not, was not, this was not in my consciousness and I was not super aware of this album when it came out. And then John K. Sampson solo stuff I really liked. And then I went back and like, like obviously some of the songs were from like, I knew one great city, right. You know, some of the songs, but to really go back and listen to full albums was something I probably only did with, with them maybe 2015, 2016. Okay. Um, and then maybe a little earlier than that. Cause this first one came out 2012, right? Yeah. This first Provincial, yeah. Provincial's 2012. So yeah, maybe sometime between the first one and the second one is when I would have gone back and, and really dove into weaker thens um, for right. the first time seriously. And then leading up to this, it was like, man, this stuff, you forget pretty like this is this has come has come up a bunch of times as we do these episodes. Like when you go back and listen to an artist for like a week straight preparing for one of these episodes, like you forget just how good some of this. Yeah, stuff is. And, I and this album, like because I usually listen to the Weaker Thens on shuffle, for lack of a better term. Listening to this front to back, it it really was like, oh my god, this album's so fucking good. Hmm. So I'm curious, as someone who's sort of yeah, those were all my Robin takes. Was we're just <laughs> yeah. we're just oh, this but is, it's, this is great. I think it's valid, and I think it's true. But An- another thing I have trouble with ranking is that I'm usually so lyric driven, but like every song on this album is. is so strong. From that, like sometimes you run into albums where it's like, okay, like when we did Bleed American, it's like, okay, a couple of these songs are nonsense. They they rip. Yeah. But lyrically, there's no, there's no meat there. <laughs> uh, with this, it's completely Every single, different. So I'm curious as to someone who is sort of coming, who doesn't have the nostalgic attachment to this record. I'm curious as to what your song ranking is for that kind of stuff with like without that. Yeah, uh, I have one great city number one. Okay, I just, I, it's 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 the song. It's, I get it. It's great. Um, song for the Elks Lodge last call. I I had it number two. Um, the the title track I had it number three. It's really. I really mm-hmm. like that song. Um, and then what did I have? Uh, the cat song. What's it called again? Uh, Plea for a cat named for 2D. <laughs> the cat song. <laughs> yes. I had that four. And then I just kind of grouped the three sonnets together yeah, as a as a, fifth. as a fifth. I mean, then you're at seven songs from the album because of that trio. <laughs> so it's I, I, I basically it's just, you know, I like a lot of these songs. I mean, yeah, it's, it is a hard album to rank because it is so strong. Yeah, I would rank. imagine we have pretty different rankings for these. Yeah. My number one is actually it's my favorite weaker than song. Uh, it's, we haven't actually talked about it yet in this episode it's a song called the prescience of dawn uh i just love the build of it and it doesn't really sound like any other weaker than songs in a lot of ways the sirens woke me up again i know they're coming for me someday just a matter of when count to 25 and yawn Clock and turn my back against the dawn and hope for that one dream of hardware stores with checkered floors and buckets full of nails. 
it's funny we're talking about like the are they an emo band and like that is the most sort of modern emo sounding song i think in their catalog in a lot of ways and it's sort of i remember hearing it the first time listening to this record and it kind of came out of nowhere a little bit because like especially where it's situated on the album like it comes right after like benediction and a new name for everything which are very like nice country folk songs and one great city which is just like a little finger pick ditty Hmm. and then these like loud distorted guitars and this huge build to this great anthemic climactic guitar solo i've always sort of considered that the last song on the record even though past past due is the actual last song on the record and then there's that little fade out in the the 30 seconds of (laughs) uh but that's always seemed to me like the end of the journey of this record and past due is kind of like the epilogue and I'm a sucker for closing. That's fair. Yeah, so I have Pressing Sudan at number one. Number two, I think I'm going to put the Sonnets. Okay. Uh, number three, I'll put for two day. Number four, I I think I'm going to put The Reasons, even okay. though it's the most straightforward song of the record. It's just a nice love song. Yeah. And it's like- It's really sweet. But it's also the first track after the first Sonnet. And like for some reason, for some reason, I always, when I think about this record, the Sonnets are always not part of the track list in my brain. I don't know why. No, that's fair. So, I think that they're, they're short. They're parenthetically titled. Yeah. <laughs> and so this was like the intro. This was like, oh, I like the weaker thens now. Yeah. And then five, I'm going to put Our Retired Explorer because it was the song I saw the music video of that got me into the weaker thens. Perfect. And it's a fun, literate song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's great. Uh, that's great. That leads us to picking one for the mixtape. I think it's got to be Vertude. I think it's the one that had holds the most relevance. Frank Turner's covered it. Pup covered it. If we ever get into John K. Simpson's solo stuff, which would be redundant after this, we could just put the whole Vertude saga and make everyone sob for like six days. Let's not do that. No. He does now, when John K. Simpson plays solo shows live, he plays all three in okay. a row. And Whew. it's impossible not to cry. Yeah, that'd be a wallop. Yeah, he was opening for Craig Finn a couple years ago. And just played it. And then Craig was like, I guess I have to play a show now. Okay. Well, we have uh, Vertude going on the mixtape then. Do we have anything else on Reconstruction site? I we... think I'm going to say that's it. Because if I don't, we're going to be here all day. Because <laughs> I could talk with this album forever. Yeah. I figured that might happen. <laughs> I figured. Self-control is important. All right. Um, man, this is fun. Reconstruction site is so, so good. good. John K. Samson rules. And like watching a bunch of interviews with him. Ahead of this, like I want to hang. Jonky Samson, come on the podcast. Yeah, come man. on Columbia House Party. I would love to talk to Jonky. Every Samson. time I see, talk to us about Neil Young or something. Every time I see a famous person now, tweet about um, albums they Columbia like. House like yeah, come on. I want to do uh, when we get like way deeper into this show, a debate episode on ranking the albums that we have done for Columbia House Party. Okay. I, I want to see if one can beat this for me. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get there. I mean, I know one way we can get there. Yeah, but that's cheating. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see.
Try the fish. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.